0: Welcome to the Two-Year Bible, a custom-designed two-year Bible reading plan with a weekly podcast by myself, Chris Case, pastor of Resonate Church, and I'm here with Sarah Pasquale, our executive director. Hey, everybody. And so we are continuing uh, to finish up the book of Deuteronomy today that we've been in now for uh, a couple episodes and uh, getting into the beginning of Joshua. And so, um, yeah, so we are going to deal with sort of a closing of one book and the opening of another with very explicit closings and openings. And yeah,
1: so, we'll mostly be looking at transitions today, I think.
0: Yep. And so uh, we find out uh, that the sort of succession, succession plan that we've already heard about uh, is in place and uh, the, the, the refrain of be strong and courageous um, that the Lord's going to go before you is going to be uh, a, a big deal to finish this book and to get into the book of Joshua.
1: Yeah, so in in eight verses, we see some iteration of God is with you, and he's not going to leave you six times. And we see him encourage Joshua, be strong, courageous, don't be afraid, three times. So whenever anything is repeated in the Bible like this, we need to pay really, really close attention to it. Why is God saying it? And this must be really, really important for Joshua to get.
0: Yeah. And, and in some ways, it's it's um, the, the same commission we kind of get from Jesus of, of going like, look, you're going to go into all the world, but but... But I remember I will be with you until the ends of the yeah. earth, and so um, it's it's a it's a similar refrain in some ways of of God reminding His people, "I w- I will be with you." And right. um, so, as believers with the Holy Spirit, we we know that that's true for us too.
1: Yeah.
0: And then there's yeah. uh, the reading of the law that's going to happen every seven years at the Feast of Booths, and you gotta imagine how uh, riveting that might be uh, every seven years to sit down with your children and listen to the whole Torah being read. But mm-hmm. um, it's going to be part of the routine of the people as much as they are going to read uh, scripture and the law quite frequently to begin with.
1: Uh, yeah, I think the generational component here is really—it's really key. There's this. Kind of dire warning that we're always like two generations away from losing the gospel altogether. Now, of course, the sovereignty of God works outside of that. But if we don't tell our kids and they don't tell their kids, then it's gone, right? Yeah. So this is why they're emphasizing so much: you need to teach your kids and tell the coming generation the things that God has done. I mean, that's Psalm seventy-eight. But God's word is for all people too. Is the other thing is like it's not just for the men to hear or the spiritual heads of household, but for women and sojourners and children all of the generations need to hear and obey this.
0: Yeah. If, if this book hasn't taught you that um, God has a heart for um, um, kind of the, all the peoples from from the lowest to, to the most powerful, um, then you've missed the point, I think, of this book uh, amongst other parts uh, that the book's trying to drive home. And so uh, Joshua is commissioned to lead Israel. Uh, he's, he's kind of told this is, this is this is what's going to be happening. Uh, once mm-hmm. again, be strong and courageous. Um, and you will lead them. And so uh, we, we randomly will burst into the
1: song. Yeah. And I, you know, I like how God says to Moses, I will be with you. That's just, or God says to Joshua, because it's the same promise he gave to Moses when he was getting Moses ready to lead yep. Israel out of Egypt. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's an, important statement particularly because Moses he even told Moses hey you guys can go ahead without me and Moses insists earlier uh, that no we won't go unless you go with us god and now he's going yes i will be with you
1: yeah and, and then so, Moses gets a song yep
0: uh, it covers all sorts of uh stuff that God is great, but his children are rebellious. Uh, And so um, it's, it's a bit of a hard way. I feel like this book ends a little bit of Moses kind of coming to terms that um, the Israelites are, yes, going to get to the land, but they're not going to, to stay there, that they are going to continue to be rebellious. But it's, it's a bit of a warning for Moses to the people too, because it even ends with, these are not empty words for you, but, but, but your very life, like Mm -hmm. he's saying, like, look, if, if you obey, it's going to go well. And if you don't, it's not. And, as far as I could tell you're not going to obey but please obey if you can. Yeah. Um, it's sort of the 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 end there.
1: I think part of, you know, the contrast in the song of the behavior of Israel compared to the character of God is just you see how incredible amazing God is. He is the rock. He is perfect. He has provided for Israel. He has guided them. It says he gave them the very finest of wheat. Um And even though Israel forsook God, they rejected him. He never forsakes them. He never leaves them. His steadfast love remains and endures. And it makes me think of 2 Timothy where it talks about how if we are faithless, God remains faithful to us.
0: Yep. Uh, And so Moses' death is foretold again. And uh, and yeah, he's going to die on a mountain, much like his brother. And uh, that's... Symbolic in a lot of ways, mountains, uh, in in particularly ancient culture, that's where God is. Um, That's where the gods were, but even Yahweh himself meets Moses on a mountain. And so um, if you're going to be someone who's close to God, like Aaron or Moses, you're also going to die at the place that's close to God. And so... Mm -hmm. I think it's very symbolic that that happens
1: yeah and then like a patriarch moses gives this final blessing to israel before his death so it's kind of his final goodbye we saw jacob do it in genesis we're going to see it again here before moses goes to be with the lord
0: yeah and, and it's a reminder i mean moses's language here is a reminder god loves his people
1: mm-hmm.
0: um and and you get all sorts of blessings with all sorts of different sons. it feels to me reading through it like the end of genesis uh where where jacob is blessing all of his sons it sort of ends the same way where it's a blessing of each of the tribes other than Simeon that uh, gets left out and uh, likely eventually Simeon will be absorbed sort of by Judah. And so um, there's, there's some uh, trajectory there around what happens to Simeon, but um, all these different uh, statements about each of the different tribes.
1: Yeah. We <laughs> there's won't. A,
0: yeah. There's a lot of good details in there. I don't know if we're going to go into all of them, but
1: I don't know that we will, <laughs> but I would strongly encourage you to spend some time paying attention to those details and we'll see, or we'll see specifics about different tribes come up later, but it's kind of fun to follow the thread of each different tribe going on from, you know, Genesis. Yeah,
0: following the blessing from from Genesis to here through mm-hmm. each of the lands ultimately how they battle uh, moving forward against folks like the Philistines and stuff like that it, it's pretty interesting to watch the trajectory of the tribes yeah. so um, do do pay attention to that and when you get to a tribe and they're battling somewhere go back to, to see what was what the promise was about, for them yeah what was stated about the tribe
1: yeah and something else I do want to point out is that we see the first and the last books of the of the Pentateuch containing blessing from creation when God blessed Adam and Eve to Israel moving into the promised land with a blessing from God through Moses. God loves to bless his people. Yep. Moses dies. And then
0: Moses dies. Yeah. And um, it's, it's uh, his epitaph sort of here of, from verses 10 to 12. um, uh, It's pretty incredible uh, that there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None Mm -hmm. like him, all the signs and all the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt. Uh, And so, it 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 culminates i mean four of the five books that we have now walked through in the old testament are sort of about moses himself um or at least uh, about sort of from egypt on and uh and so this is the major character of the torah and actually all five books are ultimately named often after moses and so um this is significant in sort of the the death of moses here um
1: Yeah, this will be a shift for us in our reading because we won't be looking through things from the eyes or the lens or the experience of Moses anymore. Yeah. So. So any final thoughts on
0: Deuteronomy and and the Pentateuch for that matter, but yeah.
1: So I really loved reading Deuteronomy. It just felt like a breath of fresh air after um, a few other books in the Pentateuch. So I really liked the contrast of the blessings and curses and there's just some really incredible imagery in this book and it gives us or gives me a better picture of the person and the character of God. So I think we get to see God's presence in our lives and the big things, like he delivers us from enemies and even in the little things, like how he cares for the sparrows. And we see again, God's great, great value for the people on the margins. And I think that stood out to me more this time than ever before in reading that there is this huge theme of God caring for the widow and the orphan and the sojourner. He just, we cannot be faithful and obedient to God without also caring for people on the margin. So uh, that was really convicting to me, and it it continued to just kind of expand or broaden my understanding of how the kingdom of God is truly an upside-down kingdom compared to what we live in here on this earth. So I think those are the things that really stood out to me.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, the idea of remembrance throughout this book is— um, pretty significant. And it's sort of like, hey, uh, re- remember the poor, the orphan, the widow, and the sojourner, because you need to remember that you were like them. Uh, you were a sojourner coming out of out of Egypt. And um, yeah, that that is constantly, it feels like, kind of driven home, particularly in sort of the sandwich middle of the book, um, that, that God has a, a tremendous value on all life. Um, it's not just those of of power and influence, but, um, on, on all of his creation. Um, and, and so, yeah, as we rack up the Torah itself, I mean, we have now been introduced those five books to the foundation of of Mm -hmm. what is the rest of scripture. I mean, um, that's, that's starting to point forward to the Jesus, to Jesus himself. Uh, the rest of the, what we read in the old Testament will all sort of sit back on those foundational pieces of these first five books. And so, um, yeah, I think we are introduced to who Yahweh is through these first five books and um, see Yahweh who um, desires partnership with humanity and does that through uh, Abraham and through Isaac and through Jacob and through um, Moses and his people and and, and continue to continue to walk through... As, as a God who is holy and, and will definitely drive home the point of His holiness, but a God who also is is completely merciful and forgiving time and time and time again to His people. So, um, we don't see a, a collection of people who are perfect in any way, shape, or form, um, right. but people who struggle and who are asking questions and who are stumbling forward, desiring to figure out who this Yahweh is and, and messing up in the process, and um, yet God continues to, to show graciousness to his people, um, with the desire to ultimately bless the world yeah. and, and to, and to bring that about, um, through a partnership, uh, a covenant relationship with his people.
1: Yeah. And you know, if, if this is the first time you've done this or if you finish it, way to go. This is the foundation of how we're going to be reading the rest of Scripture. We'll be looking back to it and commenting on it because this is where we're given the instructions. Not only that, but we're also given pictures of God's covenantal love for His people.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it's a bedrock of Jesus too. Deuteronomy is one of the, outside of sort of Psalms, but that gets quoted a little differently. But um, Deuteronomy is the most quoted book. And so the fact that we just finished up the book that Jesus refers to the most, um, I mean, that matters. That that helps us understand what Jesus is after in the context that He's speaking from. Mm Mm-hmm. So let's move into Joshua. Joshua. Uh, so watch the Gospel Project if you can. Super yeah, helpful. Super, um, super helpful. We will notice some Exodus parallels pretty quickly, whether it's them trying to cross uh, this water that they need to cross to, to, to sort of end up in this new place, whether it's this red sort of marker on a doorpost or a window to, to signify uh, passing over a judgment. There's all these ways that this story uh, will start with sort of these exodus parallels um, that hopefully you picked up on as you read through.
1: Yeah. I think it's kind of like a bookend to the Pentateuch where we see, uh, we've seen the progressive fulfillment of these promises made to the patriarchs, like Abraham. Um, and we see God keeping his covenant with his people. And we also see, and really pay attention to this, that God's people are not just a specific race, but the people who follow his laws and obey him.
0: Yeah. And so a, a few more resources I think might be helpful. Um, This book's going to deal with a lot of the question of of genocide and how do we think through that. Um, I'll send in the show notes a link to a a lecture that I think is super helpful by a pastor named Josh Butler um, that that helps kind of parse some of that stuff out. The conversations around what are these cities like, that these cities are probably more military strongholds. Um, the, The word city actually just means fortified place. And so if you're an agrarian society, your farmers live out on the farms. And these little kind of military outposts will be the military that serve under the king and then probably people that serve the military, which is prostitutes and things like that. And so um, that's what you're going to find. It's not going to be a civilian stronghold. Like we think of medieval fortresses and so stuff like that um, hyperbole and language around Mm -hmm. sort of how these stories are told um, that that's certainly going to play a role in this. And so there's a lot of ways that um, not, not trying to go out of my way to lessen the, the language, but the same way that there's, there's context of which to to read into this book to go, okay, maybe sort of the, the, the killing of all people and killing all these civilians picture I have in my head may not exactly represent, uh, what's, what's happening uh, historically and in the context. And the other piece I think is really important. This piece of land, um, there's a reason why people have been fighting over it. And, and I would argue sometimes it's not even just religious. Uh, historically, that piece of land um, is on one of, if not the most important trade route um, other than, I guess the, the spice road, but it would have cut through kind of this area um, in all of history. And so it's, it's a connection point between the three major continents uh, that most people knew about at the time. And so um, if you're going to trade from North to South or, or from East to West, you're going to cut through this area. And, and if God is going to, sort of pick a place, a geographical place in order to ultimately bless the nations. Like this is it. And so so we'll we'll, we'll see that as it goes, but like it it serves a very specific spot um, in terms of its connection to the rest of the world in history. Yeah. So, yeah. So let's get going. God commissions Joshua, Mm -hmm. which yeah, he's going to give him Canaan. um, And uh, once again, we're encouraged and to be courageous, uh, remember God's word. This is sort of a constant theme. And then Sarah point out a chiasm for us, right?
1: Yeah, so there's a little bit of a chiasm in a couple of the verses here with the middle of it being, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night and be careful to do all that is written in it. Yep. So that's a reminder for Joshua if he wants success, if he wants to be strong and courageous and to remember that God is with him. But the central theme is that, we, and the reminder for us too, like we need to be meditators on the word of God as well. We need to know it.
0: Yep. Uh, and so Joshua assumes command, sort of go pack up, are ready to go? Hey, uh, you other tribes that agreed to help us? You guys got to help yeah, us. Yeah, we're um, all doing this. But the, the ringing endorsement right away is, yes, we'll do it. And whatever. And just as we obeyed Moses in all things, we obey you, which I find kind of funny because the <laughs> yeah. Israelites certainly didn't obey yeah. Moses in all things. Um, <laughs> Josh was but, like,
1: can you please maybe yeah, do a don't little make bit that of a job?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know how I should have received that <laughs> promise. <laughs> but yeah, they promised to do it. Um, and so uh, they decide to go uh, kind of spy out. Uh, the city of Jericho, uh, which you can see when you're standing on Mount Evo overlooking sort of the north end of the Dead Sea. You can see Jericho off in the distance. Yeah. And
1: and who helps them when they enter? This Rahab, who's yeah. a prostitute. Yeah. And so again, like Chris just mentioned, Jericho is probably a military outpost or a military city. So the people who are there are military people and those who service and work with the military.
0: Yeah. And um, she's heard or seen, uh, or, uh, at least heard of what has God has done, uh, both at the Red Sea and destruction of these Kings, um, which are two stories that the Israelites are reminded of all the time. Um, and, and she she desires forgiveness, not judgment. She desires life and not death, which is Deuteronomy's kind of statement of, of, of the two ways. And that's what she desires. And, um, and they kind of give her this instruction about hanging this rope, which sort of becomes that Exodus callback to me of judgment is coming but you can be spared if you just put red on this outside sort of entranceway, And so she does, she hangs this little red rope off the front of her thing, um, her front of her window. And when judgment comes, she ultimately will be spared in the process. Um, so it's just, just one of those beautiful pictures that is sort of relayed, but it's important to note, like the, the very first, conquest of Canaan involves the forgiveness of a Canaanite. Yeah, That is the first story we hear about conquest, is the forgiveness uh, of this woman.
1: Yeah, I mean, she's one of our clearest pictures we have of justification of the Gentiles by faith as well. She believed. And I want you to think back to Moses and think back when he was interceding, when God was like, I'm going to wipe out Israel. And Moses was like, but what about these people? What are they going to think about you? And here we see the answer to God's prayer. We see the fruit of it. Rahab, she has heard about Yahweh and she wants to follow him and I also think it's really it's noteworthy that the spies were really kind and generous to her in return they didn't have to promise her deliverance or anything like that but they did and so they invite her into their community and their people as well so I just I mean we'll talk more about Rahab I really really love her story because of what an unlikely picture of a woman of faith that she is and that comes back again to God's heart for people on the margins and um, let's be careful to not criticize Rahab too much or like put her in some category as awful because she was a prostitute. She probably was a victim of her circumstances. um, And usually women don't choose that on their own, but they're forced into it. And, and if her family, uh, which was likely forced her into prostitution, she still asked for them to be saved as well. Uh, Her story is she's just really beautiful. And and it's a picture why
0: this is not actual genocide. Like what they're coming in to do was to deal with, this collection of nations who it's people were worshiping in in a way that probably deserved judgment that that was wicked for all sorts of different reasons. But those who don't, those who, those who turn from their wicked ways of child sacrifice and stuff like that, those who will turn from that are spared. And so we see that right away. It's not about killing all the Canaanite ethnically. It's about killing those who are worshiping and in ways that, um, we would find even in modern sensibilities, certainly an abomination.
1: Right. So Israel crosses the Jordan. Yeah.
0: So uh, we're even told this is at, at flood season. So mm. this river is, is higher and moving. Uh, and so, and, and water certainly carries with it some, some scariness for the Israelites. Uh, but, um, <laughs> that, that the God sort of says, look, I'll take care of this barrier. Nothing will happen until you put your foot in the water. It's sort of the the don't worry, I will take care of things, but I still need your step forward by faith um, and will you trust and and actually Baal the the Canaanite god is the god of water, He controls rain and stuff like that, and so it's sort of the question, will you trust God more than you trust Baal? do you think God Yahweh is truly more powerful than step in the water and and they do uh, yeah. led by the priests nonetheless
1: yeah, so one interesting thing I read is that the Jordan could have stopped um, either naturally through mudslides further up north or it could have happened miraculously I mean either way it's a miraculous intervention from the Lord Um, and the other thing I want to note is that this is the first time we see Israel called a nation while they were in the wilderness they were called a people but now we see them being called a nation which is cool
0: yep and so yeah and once again we see just the picture of going through the waters whether it's in Exodus whether it's here whether it's Jesus who will go through the waters uh, through his baptism to bring people that are wandering in darkness into light and so um, it's great And then we get a memorial of this moment. Uh, They are instructed to grab these 12 stones that are probably quite large stones, not little sort of small rocks that fit in their hands, but but enough that probably a few guys might have to carry each one. Um, and they're left as standing stones, which kind of exist. Uh, we're going to see this multiple times in Scripture, these sort of standing stones. Uh, they're instructed to write the law on them and leave them as a reminder, this memorial, uh, which, once again, it's a huge part of the life of the Israelites to remember, remember, remember. Right. So every time you pass by these things, you will remember what your God did and you will remember what he's like.
1: Yeah. And the, and the remembering isn't just for Israel but he says, you know, in this in the verse it says so that all people of Israel may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So we see here again that God's invitation is for all people. So think back to Genesis 12 how God said Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. We're starting to see that. And then we've got these 12 men who are representing God's faithfulness to the 12 tribes of Israel and grabbing these stones. And then we see Jesus choosing 12 men to take the gospel to all nations, like we read in Matthew. This is a foreshadowing of the gospel for all nations right here.
0: Yep, so good. So let's get uh, to the New Testament and jump uh, back into 1 Thessalonians. Uh, we'll get most of the way through it today. And so um, if Paul's being... Uh, amazingly affectionate throughout this mm-hmm. letter and so he he describes his having to sort of get leave uh the thessaloniki as like being orphaned from them he's continuing with this uh language that feels like family, and um, he, yeah, he just speaks of his love for them, and um, he uses terms like uh, there's a term for um, the coming of Jesus. The, the language there is is words that kind of get ascribed to emperors and stuff like that. And so um, we will see this kind of play out in the next few next few little sections of of this sort of language, the sort of picture that Jesus is really connecting uh, his people to. Go, hey, you know how the emperors like this? Well, Jesus is going to come back too, and um, and he makes this amazing statement. I think, where he's like, you know what, my 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 competition, my victory in these games, me getting a crown, uh, the thing that my reward for all these things is, he goes, it's you guys, like you, this church that I I helped found when I was in town and you guys continue in your faith, like that is my crown at the end of this. Yes, mm-hmm. Jesus is the one to crown me. But yes, like you guys are my crowning achievement in some ways and, and him sort of, oozing towards these people just the love that he has for them and sort of the the proudness like a dad almost
1: uh, to them to live in such a way that that we see our crown and we see what we work for is making disciples and evangelizing. And I, I think the thing that I was encouraged about here or reminded, maybe admonished of is that, you know, Paul is really good at caring for people, even when they're not in front of him. And a lot of us do this out of sight, out of mind sort of thing. If we don't see someone, we stop communicating with them. Uh, that might be especially significant as we're recording in the middle of a quarantine. But <laughs> the challenge for me and for you is who's someone you've discipled or even just want to know the Lord and you don't see them regularly, is it someone you can long for in prayer and you can pray for them and, and interact with them still at least bringing them before the Lord and loving them the way that Paul loves the Thessalonians?
0: Yeah. And so, um, he's gotten this good report that he reports on saying, Hey, Timothy came back. He told me Mm -hmm. that, that you were doing well. I sent him because I really wanted you to, to stay on the right path. Uh, that all of your trials aren't going to derail you. Um, and so he he just makes clear. He's like, because look, this is this is God's will for you for you to continue to be sanctified, for you to become more like him, to be more like Jesus, to be holy, to be distinct, to be different. That's sort of what sanctification implies. And so um, there's going to be uh, an emphasis, as you read through, on sexuality, um, that the sexual morality becomes a bit of a specific area. And when you're dealing with Greek and Roman culture, like their sexuality and understanding of it's very different than the background that Paul would have come from, um, where uh, sex and, temple and worship was common. Sex outside of marriage was pretty common. And and so, um, he's, he's going. And if you remember back to, to Acts where the the council decides here are the things that we, we do hold the Gentiles to, like, this is one of them. And so Paul's like, look, like you you have to have this biblical picture of, of sexuality. Like that is what God desires for you and God designed your body to do and God designed your relationships to look like. And so he's, he's pushing at probably one of the more touchy areas of the culture, um, that, that might be affecting the Thessalonians. And so, um, yeah, he
1: he highlights
0: it amongst other things that he will highlight.
1: I think I saw parallels in ways I hadn't before about this idea of God's will is our sanctification or our holiness. And think back to everything we've read about in the first five books of the Old Testament about what holiness means to God, what it means to be set apart. And remember that that invitation continues for us today. It looks a little bit different. The instructions are clearer, uh, But just as, as Israel was to abstain from sexual immorality and they were to honor their brothers and sisters, we are still to do this. We are still to be holy and set apart for God as the people who are the dwelling places for the Holy Spirit.
0: Yeah, yeah it's so good. And so, uh, so we seem to turn a corner a little bit to, to deal with this conversation of, of death and what happens as if uh, maybe people are wondering, like, hey, like, you've talked about this resurrection. Jesus was resurrected in three days, but like, look, my uncle died last year and, and nothing's happened. And right. like, when's it gonna happen? Yeah. When's this yeah. happening? And, and when's the sort of like end age actually gonna come? And um, and Paul in a way that he says like, this is to encourage you is going to answer their questions, but he doesn't get overly detailed. Uh, He'll get more detailed in something like first Corinthians 15, but um, he he uses an analogy that they would have understood in this city. So um, the, the, the emperor uh, Caesar uh, say, say there was an earthquake in Thessaloniki and the emperor sent money to the town to, to rebuild um, which happen in places like Thessaloniki. At some point, the emperor will come back and see where that money's gone, see what they've done with that, and see how they've invested it, see sort of even how they've honored him with it. And so, he would come and as he was coming, uh, somebody would see on the watchtowers, uh, see him coming, and they would sound a loud trumpet um, so that everyone would know that Caesar's on his way. Uh, The emperor would would sort of come into the outskirts of town. Uh, That's where the cemetery is and, and he would pay his respects to those who have come before, outside the City gate, and then people would go out to meet him to sort of walk him in, and sort of um, the, the 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 sort of caught up language that we read in English, um, in, in Greek, it's it's a very specific term around how people greeted the emperor, and so they they would meet the emperor and enter with him into this city that, that they would show, here's what we did with the work that you've given us, or here's what we did with your money, here's here's how we invested what you've invested in us. And um, and so, the language here of Jesus entering, or the um, Jesus's return here, um, is, is very much that, uh, of his return to the deposit. He left initially in Thessaloniki, and there would be a loud trumpet, and the dead would have a place of honor. And so, first is a term both in sequence and priority. So, so they would have this sort of honor that's given to them. And then we would walk in to sort of the final, whatever it is with Jesus. And so Mm -hmm. um, there's, there's a theology that's built out of particularly this passage. That's sort of this escapism that, that we're going to sort of like get left behind and get caught up in the air and disappear. And then one day we'll come back with him. But that, that is not at least, Given the context of of what um, the this this crowd that had emperor worship commonly a part of it, that's not the picture that, that I think Paul is painting here. Now, how literal every set of sequences—that's another conversation. But um, what what Jesus is is. Teach, or what Paul is teaching here is not escapism towards some sort of place where we go off while right. sort of the world goes to hell in a handbasket, but um, that, that Jesus will return and that we are part of his victory march in, in some way as he returns to... Um, to, to judge and to set the worlds into new heaven and new earth and so um, yeah
1: and because of this Paul says do not grieve as those who have no hope and this is a really essential component for us to understand as Christians today yeah. we do grieve on this earth we should be sad and we should lament things that are not right we lament difficult things but we also do it with a hope that no one hear me say no one else on earth has this hope because we believe that Jesus will return and make all things right yeah. so and the encouragement here is also that we will all. Always be with the Lord. So, is that a longing of yours? Are you grieving as someone with hope? Um, I hope it's something that you're encouraged by as we anticipate the coming of Jesus.
0: Yeah, and and they're sort of like, when's it's going to happen? He's like, look, it's like a thief in the night. It's it's unexpected. It's sudden. Mm-hmm. You don't know when a thief in the night's going to break into your house and. And like birth pains, like they're inescapable when they start, like this is just going to happen. There's no turning back. And um, while people are saying peace and security, which would have been the catchphrases of Rome saying, while well, they're off saying that, like you be the people who are of the light. And I love that there's an indicatives more than there are imperatives. Like you are the people of the light, children of the light. So, now here's how you can act. Like, don't act like the drunks, like be awake, be sober. He uses even warfare mentality of, of putting on a faith, love and salvation. And so there's this idea of awakeness, like, um, he's coming back. So don't be surprised by that. But, go go, live it out. Like, this matters. Like, you you don't have anything to be scared of. Your peace and security comes from Jesus. So, any judgment that's coming, it's not for you. Like, your trajectory is not wrath, but salvation. So, go. You have freedom now to go live this out, mm-hmm. to tell others about Jesus, and to not be concerned about these sort of things, and, but to not trust Rome for your peace, but to trust Jesus for your peace. And so, um, yeah, it's such an encouragement. And Paul's saying, like, this is how you. I'm encouraging you by teaching you these things. Not to deal with your speculation of questions, but but to encourage you uh, moving forward.
1: Yeah, I kind of like looking at Paul's commands of what, how he, you know, he says encourage each other with these words and it's, uh, this time we're to encourage the church with the reminders that God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him.
0: Yeah, so good. And we'll keep going uh, next week, but uh, let's jump into our three Psalms of the week. Psalm 91. Anything you... Want to say about Psalm 91, Sarah?
1: This is just one of my favorite psalms. I really like it. I like this idea that it's a promise of protection from judgment. um, And that judgment is going to fall on Satan and his offspring when the end comes for those who are in the family of God. It's not a prosperity gospel promise, that's for sure.
0: Yeah, but it's it's definitely a promise of protection of some sort. Yeah. um, Psalm 31, we get David sort of fleeing. uh, And he's feeling... It seems like down humility, but he's recognizing that God is saving him, and um, there's sort of a, a back and forth between sort of his depression and yet God's ability to, to to still be the victor and and he says things that Jesus picks up, like on into your hand I commit my spirit, mm-hmm. things like that. And there's imagery of a rock and a fortress, and maybe he's siding in a rock, maybe he wants God to be a fortress that he doesn't have since he's on the run, and so there's yeah. all this beautiful language around sort of God being sanctuary to, to be the, the safe place. It yeah, uses a little bit of military. It's kind language. of similar
1: to what we just talked about in first Thessalonians. Like my hope is in God, even though his circumstances are are pretty dire. Yeah. Um, but his hope is still in God.
0: Yep. And it's Psalm 66. Uh, so God's power is great. And the author is, is saying like, you give good gifts and I want to give them back to you. Yep. And so um, we got to yeah.
1: praise God for the good gifts he gives us.
0: Yep. So what's, what should we look for next week?
1: All right. When you're reading the Old Testament, read it with a map. Just flip to the map in the back of your Bible or pull something from our show notes um, and look for the words and the phrases that attribute success to God rather than Israel's might. So pay attention to the specific language there. New Testament, um, I think focus on the role of suffering and enduring and steadfastness in faith. Uh, Suffering plays a key role in that.
0: Yeah. Well, in the Old Testament, we'll we'll deal with... uh, Israelites make an agreement with the Gibeonites and just think back to some of the stuff you just read and anything that Israel has been told to do or not do as they interact with these groups and whether they should have made that agreement at all. And then, uh, as they move into the New Testament, ah, as we read through the rest of first Thessalonians and second Thessalonians, just imagine a, you're a citizen of of the city, and everything is about the worship of of Caesar, and everything is about the worship of these Greek and Roman gods, and and you have turned from those things. It is causing all sorts of crisis. It's causing all sorts of relational strife, and it's causing all sorts of issues for you to exist. And you're being persecuted, you're being judged, you're being isolated, all these things because of that. And so, if that's the case, Paul's words have such a beautiful context of encouragement, of pointing forward. And so, as you're reading, think of yourself as someone who is in sort of these situations and what these words would have meant to you. And that's it for this time, and we look forward to hearing from you again. Thanks, y'all.